Welcome to Beauty is Eternal, the art of being your best self for women. My name is Caitlin and I'm your host. Today's episode is called Quantum Physicist and Ballerina Dr. Merritt Moore, Beauty and the Brains Meet AI and Outer Space. What do you get when you mix ballet shoes with physics lab coats? Quantum ballerina Dr. Merritt splits her time between scientific research and professional dancing and wants to be the first person to perform ballet in space. She graduated from Harvard with cum laude honors in physics and obtained a PhD in quantum optics from Oxford. As a professional ballet dancer, she has danced with the Zurich Ballet, Boston Ballet, English National Ballet, and Norwegian National Ballet, performing things such as the Nutcracker and Swan Lake. Recently, she was awarded a spot on Forbes 30 Under 30 and was one of the final 12 candidates chosen to compete to become an astronaut in the BBC series Astronauts. Do you have what it takes? She was invited to be a featured speaker at Forbes Women's Summit in New York and has also appeared as a panelist for the U.S. Embassy at the Women in STEM panel in London. Merritt works with a team of artists and researchers to synthesize science and art into breathtaking stage performances. She is famous for a romantic duet she performs with an industrial robot a topic which she began to research at Harvard's art lab. One of her interests is researching AI machine learning together with dance. Today, I am talking to Merritt to learn how she became a quantum ballerina, why she didn't listen to people who told her she could not be both a scientist and a dancer, how she handles rejection, and why she invites criticism, and finally, We will also discuss her plans for becoming an astronaut and dancing in outer space. If you want to learn more about Merit, you can visit her on her website, physicsonpoint.com. Let's start the interview. Merit, I'm really excited to have you as a guest today and to speak to you. I've been just absolutely in awe of you, of your beautiful dance moves and your brilliance. Oh, that's so sweet. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Let's talk first about how you became what you are today. You are a quantum ballerina, the only one in the world. Maybe you can talk about how you became involved with physics and how you became involved with ballet. If I was a little girl, went back in time and then saw where I am now, I think I would be very perplexed because when I was younger, I I was such a tomboy. I did not like pink and anything ballet related would not have like fit my vibe back then. But each time I get a question, it just makes me reflect a bit differently. So I see things differently. And I think, yeah, interesting. Would I have guessed that I would have come to this through this journey back then, because that there was no game plan when I was younger. My, my parents didn't like allow me to do like extracurricular activities when I was younger in a way. Like I wanted to be part of a soccer team, and my mom was always kind of like, so she's like, oh, let's just wait. And so my mom and dad they filled the house with puzzles and arts and crafts. We had no TV in the house, so my life growing up was very much. I was always like. Build, making puzzles and and using my hands and like experimenting with like different paints to create something or making potions or making total chaos in the house and so I think as a kid I kind of grew up loving that experimental mentality and always loved puzzles and my dad would take us out and look at the stars every night and he'd ask us like where do you think we came from like how many stars do you think are out and do you think it was from the big bang so in my childhood was kind of um, infused with testing things out and experimenting and questioning. So when I fell into physics, I just had a feeling that I was going to love it because it kind of asked the questions of what's out there, how does it work, but also 
you work sometimes on problems where you're like developing things or creating things for the future. And so I gravitated towards physics right away and I loved it. Dance on the other hand. So I had begged my mom to take gymnastics when I was 11. And then I just didn't have the right body type. My wrists were too slim to take all the pounding. And so she sort of like persuaded me to try ballet. It was kind of a bribe. I wanted to take karate because she was a double black belt. And I was like, I want to do karate. And I think she wanted to hold off a little bit, I guess, because she was in that world and wanted to find the right instructor or something. Or I don't know, but she wanted to wait till I was 13. And so she wanted me to fix my posture first. So she was like, Mary, like, you know, you have to take like five ballet classes first. So I reluctantly took the five ballet classes being like, oh, who wants to be in like pink tights? This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was there and I had this Russian instructor who was like very tough. And when the music started and I got to move my body with the music, I was like, wow, this feels so natural. Like, this is where I'm meant to be in a way. I grew up not really articulating. I always found words kind of difficult when I was younger. And so when I was in the room expressing myself with my body, I was like, oh my God, this is just <laughs> such a relief. Like I can, I feel like I can express myself in a way that I've never been able to express myself with words. And it just, it was hook. And so then my parents were like, you want to stop ballet? And I was like, nope. And they're like, uh. <laughs> they had no intention for me to do more than the five lessons. So that's kind of how it began. It sounds like you had a lot of interest then in the sky and in physics that sort of prepared you for your later career as a physicist. And at the same time, this natural desire to express yourself that you found ballet was a great outlet for. Yes, very much so. I think a lot of people, when we're growing up, we think, okay, we need to figure out a career. You initially thought to yourself, let me make my career physics, but at some point that thinking changed and you decided, let me make my career both physics and ballet. How did this decision come about? I think I, I never said, oh, I'll be a physicist. I was always thinking, oh, I love this topic. I'm going to just continue learning until... Until I reach a point where I'm not interested, you know, it was like, it was kind of left open. So I was like, I really love this and we're going to try, even though everyone's kind of telling me, oh my God, it's such a hard topic. And oh my God, like you would never make it as a physicist. And oh my God, you know, you started so late and all these things. For me personally, I was just like, well, I like it. Why can't I just like keep going until I hit a barrier, right? So it helped take down the pressure, I guess. And so I I got accepted to Harvard and was studying physics. And then when I was in my sophomore year, I just had this kind of feeling. I was like, oh, my God, like I'll never be a professional ballet dancer because everyone says if you go to college, like forget it, you'll never be a professional ballet dancer. And I then went and was like, well, I don't want to look back and regret that I never tried. I had met some people who had been like, oh, I regret that, you know, I hadn't stayed with it or that I just gave up. And for some reason, that kind of triggered something in me where I was like, mm, right, you can't undo the past. So my thing was, OK, even if I don't make it, at least I want to be able to say, you know, at that time, I did everything I could and I tried a thousand percent and it just didn't work out. And that's fine. And now I can go lie on the beach and know that you know, like, yeah. I at least gave you know, I gave a thousand percent and not kicking myself that for with regret. So I then went and auditioned, I mean, 20, like five times around Europe, around everywhere auditioning. And it's hard to get rejection, right? Like <laughs> you've put so much time and effort on top of it. not only was I studying you know, having physics exams and, and problem sets due every single week in four subjects. So I was, I was studying a lot. And on top of it, I was like studying a lot, but at the same time doing like ab exercises and planks and reading my Griffith's quantum mechanics, you know, book on the treadmill and studying the splits and 
like doing my feet exercises underneath the table while I was at lectures. Like I was, I was nonstop working, nonstop. I wouldn't go to parties. I would be in my dorm room studying, stretching, exercising. It was like full on commitment. So when you do that and you're not sleeping very much and then you go to an audition, you fly there and you're number 253 and you're not accepted. And then you go to the next country to audition and you're not accepted and you go to the next country to go and you're not accepted and still probably try to keep up with exams and problem sets and and then you go to the next you know missing holidays on Thanksgiving I was auditioning during Christmas I was auditioning during you know during every holiday that people were taking off I was putting myself in these situations where I was feeling incredibly vulnerable and auditioning but in the beginning it's rough right you get a no and you get a no and it's just like oh my god the hardest part of the whole process is putting that much work into something and being like, is this going to work out? Like, what if this doesn't work out? But in my head, I then just had to resolve. I was like, look, even if I don't make it, one, I will be able to say, like, you know, I gave my all. Number two, I'm going to make sure that I'm growing as a person at each of these auditions. So I would write down mature, compassionate, generous. I write down these adjectives of words that, of how I as a person wanted to be and improve as a person and made sure that at the audition I was kind of working towards that. And it alleviated the pressure of being like, oh my God, they must hate my turnout and oh my God, they must hate my legs or this and that, which is what my thoughts would normally be consumed by. But now I had these other things where I was like, no, okay, how do I give energy to them? How do I give a thousand percent so that for anything that I do and I love, I give, I, I give full commitment. So I, I felt like I was improving as an individual and tuning into who I wanted to be as a person. And I actually thoroughly enjoyed the auditions at the end. I had a coach who was like, Merit, like perfect is replaceable. Being unique and individual is irreplaceable. At each of those auditions, I was always thinking about, okay, I shine by being me. I don't need to try to be someone else. And then I got into Zurich Ballet, which was dream company, just such an incredible company and such a high-tiered company. I was, like, kind of shocked. <laughs> and I, I did not – I didn't tell anyone – even when I signed the contract, I didn't tell anyone I was going until I was in Zurich. And, well, I had to tell Harvard. I was like – Harvard it's okay if I take a year off and, and they were totally fine they're like yeah just email us when you want to come back <laughs> I was like okay well then let's do that <laughs> and yeah so went to Zurich for a year and then came back decided to retire from dance then but I keep getting roped back in and so every year I keep saying I'm like okay now I'm retiring but then uh, <laughs> a dance door opens and I'm like back there again so now it's been a switch off I went back to study uh Harvard opportunity opened up where I got to take a full semester off to dance La Jair and Nutcracker with Boston Ballet so then I was back in the ballet scene and then I went back to school being like okay that was the end and then I was at Oxford and was dancing with English National Ballet and graduated from Oxford and then Norwegian National Ballet so somehow this um dual life has just continued and every time I was like okay now I need to quit dance and focus on physics like that's what everyone says like I need to quit dance but my grades would go down my energy levels would go down whenever I did that and at this point after you know a decade of bouncing back and forth I've just been like okay you know what <laughs> I just accept it like I'm a physicist and ballerina and it's less of a swap and just more like of a lifestyle and I accept that <laughs> That was a brilliant strategy that you used when you were auditioning, because instead of having all your self-esteem based on what this person or what this group of people that you didn't know said, oh, you're good enough or you're not good enough, you made the cut or you mm -hmm. didn't, your self-esteem was based on your own feeling within yourself and your own growth. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you had more stability because I mm -hmm. think if you go and somebody tells you no, 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 and you feel rejected... And all your self-esteem is based on that. It's really mm -hmm. hard not to feel down. And it's really hard to keep getting back up. I had a very wise mom who I just am very grateful for. As she, she unfortunately has passed away. But during that time, she would always tell me, she's like, Merit, 
and throughout my life, actually, she'd always be like, Marin, I'm most proud of you when you fail and you get back up. Your successes are wonderful. And when you get a good grade or when you get accepted somewhere, like, that's great. But she's like, Marin, always know I'm most proud when you put yourself out there, when you fail and you get back up. And that was a huge thing for me because then also every time I got rejected, it was kind of like, goody, I gotta, I gotta, you know, get back up and like be proud of myself, you know. That is such a great attitude and it's so important because life is sometimes going to knock you down and it's not yeah. if and when it knocks you down, it will, it's how you yeah. handle that. That is very true. That is true. For 10 years now, you've been doing a combination of dance and physics. And you mentioned that when you stopped doing dance, even your grades were suffering, that they're sort of complementary. How do you think that physics makes you a better dancer and dance makes you a better physicist? There are two parts to that. So one is I'm a big believer that having two passions is incredibly healthy and this whole idea that like arts and science are separate and that you need to just focus on one thing. I have very much valued and appreciated having these two passions because one, it's no matter what passion you have and no matter what you're pursuing, you will always hit a plateau and then you'll hit improvement and then you'll hit plateau. And, and sometimes these plateaus last for a long time. And having seen a lot of dancers who only danced, it's very different when you hit a plateau for a week it's fine when you hit it for a couple months like it gets into your psychology and it just changes your whole and you feel like you're not getting better and then you go down this like downward spiral of not wanting to be in the studio and like kind of being resenting being there so long and, and then getting injured so it was just interesting that for me when I hit a plateau in say dance you know, I could be improving in physics and then I'd hit a plateau in physics and I'd be improving in dance. So, but always like there was something that was improving that was keeping my energy level up and excited and, and felt like I was improving. I thoroughly get a kick out of it improving. So having two things kind of increased the probability of one of those things improving. <laughs> so that was one thing of why it was quite helpful. You know, like if I'm going to a dance audition and I realized to myself that I... I always performed worse when I felt the pressure, like when I felt a lot of pressure. And so when I went to a dance audition, I'd make sure that I'd be focusing on the physics problems and something else that didn't have anything to do with dance. And before an exam or something, like I'd also make sure that I was exercising and, and doing something else so that I wasn't like, oh my God, this one exam is my whole entire life. The other thing is, you know, directly in dance, you know, all the lessons I learned in physics have been so useful. So, for instance, we learn, like, Newton's third law, like, that every action causes uh, opposite and equal reaction. So, in ballet, we're taught to, like, ramba ma our leg, which is kick our leg really high in the air. And you're taught to kick it up and then bring it down. And so, often, you know, it's a difficult move to have that flexibility and the strength. And it's, like, up and down and up and down. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh, actually, I'm going to push against the earth because the earth is then going to create an opposite and equal reaction and like help me push my leg back up. Instead of just trying to lift up, like I'll push down into the ground to then lift up and it becomes much easier. And then I think about how the swing of my leg is acting like a pendulum. So at the top of a swing and a pendulum, you have like zero velocity and then it comes back down you know, there's a restoring force that brings it back to equilibrium position. So I think of the laws of physics and, and of the world helping me, aiding me achieve where I need to be and what I need to do without overexerting my muscles. Because also I don't have that much time, right? Like, yeah, sure, some dancers can spend eight hours in the studio, but I've got problems since I've got exams, so <laughs> I need to be as efficient as possible. So I would then also think, you know, when I'm turning on point, like it's so difficult to be balancing just on your toes, let alone spinning around. So 
it's constantly thinking of like, right, where's my center of mass? How is this torque working? Where is my, you know, moment of inertia? What's I need to kind of slow down. So I'm going to think about my shoulders expanding and open up my arms a little bit. I'm going to have my posse really high. I'm going to focus on the weight of my one leg up is causing more weight to shift to that side, which means I really need to be on my standing leg on the opposite side to counter that force. Even when I jump, I mean, I've done so many projectile motion equations and, you know, like problems. In my head, I just naturally know, okay, right, like if I take off at this angle with this velocity, I can visualize in my head where my center of mass and where I'll land. Like if I want to get a certain height, I need to think about, oh, okay, at what angle am I taking off with my leg? All of those things, it just is kind of intuitive. Like I can see it in my head. So I do a lot of visualization. Like even in class, like some people will notice, like I close my eyes really quickly when I turn to the back so the teacher doesn't get offended and I just kind of visualize where what I want to achieve like if I want to achieve five turns on point or something or a really huge jump I can kind of close my eyes and visualize what that quote-unquote simulation would look like if I you know had a piece of paper and equations to write it all down and that's been incredibly useful and that's I think why I've been able to take off a full year of ballet and come back and work in a company like you know, there's a mentality in dance that if you take one day off, it takes two to get back. So there's this thing of like, if you take a, I've taken nine years to take, do my physics degree. So I don't have 18 years to come back, right? <laughs> so I have to be as smart about it and efficient. And so that's how physics has really helped me stay at the top level in terms of dance. And then dance, interestingly, like helped me with the experiment because I was in quantum optics and I was building what we call a single photon source. And there's a funny competition called Dance Your PhD. In my single photon source, what we what happens is you create two entangled photons. And so I was like, Ooh, we're going to call this entangled. We're going to do a tango on point. And my partner and I will represent the two photons that have been produced. And while I was thinking about choreographing the piece, I was like, okay, so we'll pretend that the lab is the crystal and then we'll have footage of the pianist and he'll be the quote unquote, like the pump laser, the laser that goes into the crystal. And then I was thinking about like where the reaction occurs in the crystal. And it just made me think, I was like, yeah, where, oh, is this happening like yeah, where, where are these photons created during this whole process in the crystal? Is it like at the beginning of the crystal, in the middle of the crystal, at the end of the crystal? Because also like the index of refraction is different in the crystal versus air. So like if there was produced at the beginning of the crystal, then they have to go through like the length of the crystal and then get emitted. But that would change the bandwidth. Like then it matters about the bandwidth and then it matters like what the pump bandwidth is and have I checked what the pump band with it? Like, you know, have I checked the chirp of the, like all of these technical things like came up to my head, like all these questions. I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about these things when in fact, like I'd written down this equation that represents, you know, what happens when you have a laser hit a crystal to create two photons. I'd written it down up like probably nearly a thousand times by the time it was the fourth year of my PhD. Like every single day, like I'd be writing it down multiple times and having to do simulations but it never by looking at the equation it never forced me to ask all the questions about what was happening in the actual process like and when I had to think about the choreography it just made me tune in and it made me visualize what it was like to go through that process and so that just helps in part of my experiment that I had not not checked yet and then help me finish my PhD. <laughs> It sounds like your ballet perspective, when you turn it on, your physics career helps you see it differently. Mm -hmm. And your physics perspective, when you start calculating your dance moves, it also helps you to see it in a different light and find new solutions. Yeah, it's very true. That's so cool. Are there any other ballerinas that you know of that actually mathematically calculate their moves? I think there's um there is a book like The Physics of Dance or Physics of Ballet and they're based in Yale. I have not had the pleasure of meeting them. And but I also should say like I don't I haven't put in like being like my weight is this and the 
yeah, okay. or is this? Yeah, it's more of, you know, when you do those problems so many times, you can approximate and get an idea of how it works. Okay. Yeah, but you're not there with a book of all your, your dance moves calculated. No, Wait, time, class. <laughs> gravity, and okay. <laughs> yeah, not during class, I would say. <laughs> you have performed ballet all over the world. What do you like the most about performing? What do you find the most challenging about it? What's that experience like for you to have thousands of people mm. watching you? There are definitely times where it's totally nerve-wracking. Oh, my goodness. And you go, and I just think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just going to mess this up. So in college, I was performing a lot, and it was it was amazing. In college, it was just, it's your friends in the audience, and, and it's just a purely, I just find it a very giving experience like whenever I go on stage I think oh I want the audience to feel something I want to give them energy I want to be like it's kind of like I'm going to give them everything I've got and you kind of go into this state and often I can't even remember what happened on stage like I, you <laughs> go into this zone you go totally it's just the most wonderful experience like because when we're training and rehearsing in the studio it's like constantly thinking about corrections and constantly fixing things and but when you're on stage it's like this is it like you kind of need to turn off your brain and just just give and it's just an amazing experience I would say the first time when when I was like oh when I was hired like at Zurich Valley and I was like oh my god I'm being paid to put on a good show that's when I felt a lot of pressure of oh I hope I don't watch this up (laughs) Um, but one gets used to it and yeah I, I still get that adrenaline and desire to give everything I've got it's something very special because you you feel the energy from the audience and then you try to give that back and it's like a constant um like a rebound of energy like mm-hmm. you know, they give you energy and I give it back and then they give you more and it you can feel that from the stage even though you can't see the audience per se because of the lights mm-hmm. I saw a video of you dancing I think it was to Sugar Plum Fairy in the Nutcracker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is actually my favorite ballet. Aww. And you were just you were just so amazing. I couldn't even believe it when I it was just you were just practicing, but it was really beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so you dance classical ballets. You've yeah. danced many classical ballets in various different theaters around the world. Mm-hmm. How did you get the idea to start involving AI and in particular robot in some of your performances? Good question. So last year, I was invited to have a residency, a short residency at Harvard has this new art lab. And the idea is it allows space and time for artists to research without the pressure of producing something, like without the pressure of performing a performance at the end, which was such an incredible experience because then it allowed me to kind of act as a researcher and explore topics that would be too risky to pursue if I knew I had how to create a performance and during that time it just gave freedom so I was like kind of having meetings with people and didn't have a clear idea of where I was going but it sort of evolved that I was really intrigued by the potential of AI expanding helping humans be more creative and tap into our full potential. So like, as an artist, I'm always intrigued by creativity. And so I'm constantly kind of surrounding myself with mentors and reading up on incredible artists and seeing where they found their inspiration and, and what their ideas were. Having watched this um, AlphaGo documentary about a robot versus a human playing Go, this very intricate game, it was amazing to see how AI kind of would show a move that humans had never even thought of because we're taught from the generation above us. And and we kind of go down this one line of kind of reiterating what's been done before and slowly testing, pushing the boundaries outwards. Whereas AI was able to come from a totally different perspective and be like, have you tried this? And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh my God. And then you see some things where like, yeah, it's just like it opens our minds to something that we wouldn't have thought about before. And, I was always, I was just intrigued, like, in terms of choreography and for ballet, like, a lot of these dances have been done for a really long time. 
and is beautiful and we need that tradition, but also what does the future of dance look like? How can we push the boundaries of choreography? Like we repeat steps and I would say like we reiterate what's been done before and we push the boundaries and experiment, but I think by very small increments and AI would give the possibility of really showing us maybe something totally different that is more expressive. And I was exploring that idea. And then I was back with Norwegian National Ballet and literally like, I don't know, I was at, like out with some friends and another friend had come joined the group and she said she worked with robots. And I was like, oh, amazing. And I started working with this robot and also like during my time off at Norwegian National Ballet and like in the evenings and weekends. And, and then that project grew. I had a collaborator fly in from London to work on it in Oslo. And then Harvard invited us back now in January for a three-week residency. And we have like lots of discussions with scientists and engineers here. And then the project's just expanding. So it was just interesting how week-long residency, which was just gave me the flexibility to clear my brain and to have discussions really shaped, allowed me to think about how to fuse my two passions together. What have you learned so far from experimenting with AI in dance? What are some of the fruits of your labor that you can share with us so far? I'm so excited because even just exploring the few movement with this robotic arm pushed me to express movement in a different way in terms of a choreography, in terms of movement, in terms of how I can move my body as a human when doing a duet with this robot. Also, so we're going to have AI choreograph and then map it to the robotic arm. That is still being worked on, but that too in itself, like those problems have been super interesting. And we're going to do a showing, kind of like a private showing, I think, at Harvard. And we'll see where that goes. It might be, I've been having a discussion with someone who wants it at New York Fashion Week. So we'll see where it goes. You know, when you were talking about how the robot kind of moves differently and teaches you new moves, it's almost like how you use physics to look at ballet differently and ballet to look at physics differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the robot, Mm -hmm. which also comes, I guess, from the physics world to show you a different perspective on ballet, Mm -hmm. new possibility. Totally new possibilities. And an even further new possibility that you're interested is actually becoming an astronaut and mm-hmm. going into space. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what you'd like to do in space, where you'd like to go? Ooh, where I want to go to the moon. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I want to dance on the moon. I want to go to this moon. Again, it's one of those things where I don't really have a clear idea, like my entire life. I never really know where I'm going. I always feel like Dory from Finding Nemo who's like, where am I? Where am I going? But I do just know that I have just like a crazy passion for it and and desire to explore that. And so I'm going to pursue that like I've done with everything, whether it be dance or physics and and just anything that I'm passionate about, I go a thousand percent. I just like commit myself to it and then kind of figure out where that leads me. So in, in terms of like what I want to do up there, I'm like, oh, I just want to dance up there. <laughs> the rest of it, I'm, yeah, we'll see when I you know, get closer to it. And let's say that you could dance any ballet you want on the moon or on Mars. Mm-hmm. Which ballet would be your first choice? Ooh, I would... I would definitely like Greek choreograph something or have like AI choreograph it. Ah, so you would create a new dance. Yes. Oh. (laughs) Oh, so literally, literally a new moon dance. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's very cool. I want to ask you some questions now that Mm -hmm. relate to your motivation a little bit, especially to maybe talk to people who are really inspired by your story and would love to learn how Mm -hmm. you have kept such a good attitude and how you've figured stuff out. Mm -hmm. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do and how did you get through it? 
you talked about the auditions across Europe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you were, I think, 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Would it be that? Is there something else that comes to mind? Yeah, that was incredibly hard because that was a very long process of hard work. I think everyone can put in hard work for an hour, but it's can you put in hard work for days, months, years, for hours and sustain that without knowing if it's going to work out? That's by far the hardest. So if you can get that, if you have mental control of that, then you're ace. Because like, I can promise anyone, if you put in hard work, it always pays off. It just always does. And it's mostly our doubts that kind of stop us from sticking with it and achieving the fruits of our labor. So that was incredibly hard. I mean, when I did the Astronauts Do You Have What It Takes BBC program under the guidance of Commander Chris Hatfield, I would say getting thrown into a helicopter to hover for the first time when I'd never been in a helicopter was a challenge, I would say. But then that was like short-lived. So it's always a mix. How did you push yourself on in those tough moments in the astronaut training program? There was a principal dancer who can give advice. She was like, for sometimes with dance, she's like, don't think, just do. You know, like I think often our brains and our, our head like gets in the way of what our body's actually quite smart, but our doubts like get in the way. So during those times, I just thought of that principal dancer and I was just like, okay, don't think, just do. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, trust your body, trust yourself to kind of do what's the right and smartest moves. And it normally works in that way. And that's often, you know, I'll just be like, kind of turn off the doubts, turn off the worries and just, just do it. Just do it and trust. It'll do the, the smartest way it knows how. And when I'm putting in the hard work, I would always think like, you know, nothing's impossible. Possible just takes time. Putting in the hard work, just having trust that it pays off in the end. I think that's great advice. Sometimes just putting your head down and pushing on through obstacles, mm-hmm. because sometimes obstacles are there not to stop you, but to test how much you really want it. And yeah. if you really want it, then you turn that obstacle into something you can climb on and then jump off of. Yeah. Exactly. How much you want it, but also you get so much strength. Oh, I just had a great friend who reminded me of this, who is also like the most successful people, they fail the most. It's just a fact. (laughs) The most successful people fail the most. So just knowing that the more you're failing, the more that you like aren't doing it right. It's a it's making you stronger. You're improving faster because you just you're like, oh, that hurt. Like, let's, let's try to fix this. And you gain all of the wisdom from failing. And it's just kind of how I live my life. You talked a little bit about the advice that your mother gave you. Mm-hmm. And who has inspired you the most in your life, Merit? Who have been your role models? I've been super lucky of having incredible mentors in my life who have gone over and beyond. There was a coach in Italy when I was uh, 15. I quit dance and I had taken a school year abroad. I wanted to go to Italy to get kind of away from dance. But then there was a teacher there who just took me under her wing and I, I ended up training with her. And I still do. Like 15 years later, I still train with her. And incredible coach in LA, Josie Walsh, who also just gave me such strength and wisdom and, and another incredible mentor in London, Michelle Gallagher, who also took me under her wing. Like I've had just incredible mentors throughout my life who have motivated, inspired, supported, really believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Like, And it's been very fortunate. So they have been incredibly inspiring. My mom, for sure, just in terms of like generous spirit and love of life and love of in the moment. She was like a double black belt. She had gone back to school in the classics and and then later on she was like writing a book. So and my younger sister, who's four and a half years younger and often acts four and a half years older. (laughs) She's definitely top of my like she's my best friend and just the best so 
those are kind of like the ones that are closest to literally home. Let's say that there's somebody listening right now and they don't have the same mentors that you had. Mm-hmm. And this person has a dream and they love to fulfill it, but mm-hmm. they're sort of doubting themselves. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you give to them about pushing forward? So I would say there are these apps, like I use Libby, which connects you to public library. And so I'm constantly putting into my brain, like I'm constantly reading. I love biographies about incredible people because you learn from that, like you learn from the biographies. I'm constantly reading about sports psychology and the mental game and how to enhance your mind or even the self-help books, the personal development books. There's so many incredible people out there with incredible wisdom and you read a book and sometimes it's stuff you've heard before, but you always learn at least one thing from everything you read. So especially when I had a routine like in Oslo, I'd be going through two books a week. Like I listen to it while I stretch. I listen to books while I'm brushing my teeth because there's so much wisdom out there that's also, you know, in book form that's written down and well thought out. And so I think that there's so much knowledge out there that's at our fingertips that can easily be accessed by everyone. And, and that's one big thing. Another thing is, is there mentors everywhere? And I think it's having an eye because the funny thing is there's a lot of the mentors, like I just found them kind of being open and sometimes it's an unconventional way. But I think being very open to listening to advice and listening to guidance, you don't always have to take it. That's, that's my other <laughs> thing. Is like, you know, you don't always have to accept everything that's said to you. And I'm definitely that way. I'm like, mm, I don't know, but I will definitely fully listen to everything and be very appreciative and grateful, you just receive more. Like the more appreciative and grateful you are in terms of like what you have at the moment and also in terms of when people give you the time to give you advice or want to help you. I often see people want to like feel hurt when they get a correction or they take it quite personally. And that's such a shame because no one's perfect and there's so much wisdom to be gained and everyone can improve so I think if you're open to very being vulnerable and being like yep (laughs) this is what I am at the moment and you know not a shame like just being like yep not perfect and gonna embrace that but really excited about improving so (laughs) listen to any feedback you have and you can get feedback from everyone like like I'll be in Ubers and have like discussions I'm like oh that was great wisdom. So it's it's out there. You reminded me a little bit of sort of the German work mentality. So in Germany, if you have a meeting with somebody and you ask them for feedback, usually they'll try to give you some negative feedback and criticism, not because they want to make you feel bad, but for them, that's like giving you a compliment, showing you, oh, I really mm. listened. I pointed out all the flaws for you. Yeah. You happy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there's truth to the statement, the teacher will come when the student is ready? Yes. I had not heard of that, and that's a great one. I've often had teachers come, and I was not ready, and then a decade later, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to that teacher. Like, that was really useful. So, yeah, definitely wholeheartedly, like, the student needs to be open and and ready, and the teacher will definitely come. Well, as you said, being open, I think that's such an important point, because let's say the perfect teacher were to come to somebody, someone else who dreams of being a ballerina, but they were not open or they thought, oh, this person is too old to give me advice or this person, you know, has a funny walk and they didn't listen when maybe that person was previously the best dancer in the world. Yeah. And the advice comes in various ways, in various ways. Do you have any guiding morality that you follow or live by? Yeah, so I remember it was like during my PhD and I just, I was just feeling down about, you know, you would reach these rough parts where it's like, oh my God, like I'm putting in all this, or like, is it going to pay off? Oh, I was just not super excited about being 
female in my late 20s. Like, it was just, I don't know, I was like, oh, there's this energy that's, like, very depressing about, yeah, I don't know. I was just, like, not really excited, I would say. And I just kind of was like, you know what? I, I made up a motto for myself that was, like, I am free and I give hope. So it was my motto that I'm free of these stereotypes. I'm free of these prejudices. I'm free to mess up. I'm free to just be me. I'm free to fail and get back up. Like I'm free just to like try things out. And, you know, if I fail, I fail. Right. Like I just, I needed that. And then the other part was my kind of motivation. It was like, you know what, I'm in this part spot, like situation where at the time I was not feeling hope at all. And I was getting a lot of, you can't do it this way and you have to do it this way and all these things. And so I just reached a point where I was like, you know what, what's going to motivate me is if I feel like I'm able to give hope to other people. So my thing to myself was I am free and I give hope. And I would say that to myself, like, you know, every morning or whenever. And it was like, I want to give hope that it is possible to pursue your dreams, like that it is possible to do what people say is not possible you know, to kind of give hope that kind of example being like, if I made it this far, then anyone can do it. <laughs> you know, anyone can be a scientist, this ballerina, because I have had no idea what I've been doing, but you know, that kind of thing. So that, that's been my, I would say, like daily thing. I just had a thought to myself that I think that's been my motto for the past like five years. I was thinking like this year I was going to just focus and tune into something and for the next five years as 2020 starts <laughs> it sounds like by realizing you could give hope to others you gave hope to yourself oh yeah for sure like I realize I'm such a lazy bum when it comes to myself sometimes but if there's like a motivation to help others or to inspire others then I kind of like get my butt into gear and I jump out of bed when I'm like oh my god okay let's do this like I just get way more excited when there's hope to that it might help someone else. Well, I can think of something else that might help someone else to know. So it's a, f- a funny mm-hmm. anecdote. I'm with my boyfriend and his family right now. And before the interview, I asked them, is there anything that you could think of to ask Merit that maybe I wouldn't have thought of? Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend's father said, well, yes, not because he's interested, he's married, but does she have a boyfriend? And I was trying to find it, and I was like, I don't know. So maybe you can give hope to some men. I don't know. Oh, Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I had no idea where that was going to go. Surprise, it wasn't on the question list. (laughs) No, I'm not dating at the moment. Sometimes I joke that I'll, like, I'm going to go to the moon first, and then I'll date. I've had incredible relationships that have been so supportive and wonderful and that I've really appreciated but at the moment I think I'm just really enjoying what I'm doing and perhaps haven't met someone that that I really click with and kind of committing to in that kind of way. That makes sense. What is next for you Merit? Where can we see you performing soon? Mm. Where can we read your you know, upcoming book about ballet and physics that I'm sure you're going to write at some point. When can we see you in space? What's, <laughs> what's on your horizon? So art lab residency at Harvard is next. And then that duet will be at the New York Fashion Week. And then from there, I would say I've already put down the down payment for a piloting license, you know, so that if the next NASA applications open up, I can apply. And Yes, writing. Writing's really, oh man, it takes a long time and (laughs) and it's quite hard, but that is in the works. And then the rest is kind of, um, we will see. I'll be in a mix of in LA, Boston and London are kind of my three stomping grounds. I'll keep people updated either on my website, like physicsonpoint.com or my more up-to-date daily stuff is on Instagram with at physicsonpoint. And yeah, we'll see. 2020. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see what you do in 2020. And I will link to your website, Physics on Point, as well as to your Instagram in the notes to this show, as well as to your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I've already taken over an hour of your time, Merit. You're such a good interviewer. Oh, thank you. A, the questions were so good, and also how you integrated it to the next question. Like, oh, she's a pro. Oh, oh really? Well done. Thank you. But as you were talking, you're giving me inspiration. Oh. Because, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to start your own business, and people are like, why are you doing that? Why don't you go get a job? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Oh my God, you will get that all the time. I still get that. I still oh. get that. Um, when oh are you God, gonna grow up and get a real job, Mary? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. From my dad all the time. He'll be, like, he'll be like, Mary, you're still dancing. Oh God. You know, like I get that all the time. I'm just like, eh. Like, my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're the world's first quantum ballerina. I mean, that's that's just amazing. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it was such an absolute joy and pleasure to speak to you today, Merit, because you're just a woman that I'm totally an, in awe of, a human that is just, you have such a great attitude, such a great work ethic, and you really have a great way of balancing realism with positivity I think everybody in the world can learn something from you and you are going to change the world I am sure that you are going to be dancing in space that you are going to be really bringing AI into ballet and you're going to be leading the world in a few years you are already on top of the world but I think there's so much more from you to come so I'm just, I can't believe that I even got to interview. It's just a dream come true. So thank you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you so much. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure talking with you. <laughs> well, I hope to have you back in 2020 when you are making more waves on the stage and in space. I'd love to. <laughs> okay. Have a good day, Marin. You too. <laughs> okay. Bye. You can learn more about Merit as well as see her upcoming schedule on physicsonpoint.com spelled out P-H-Y-S-I-C-S-O-N-P-O-I-N-T-E dot com. You can also follow her on Instagram under physicsonpoint spelled out P-H-Y-S-I-C-S-O-N-P-O-I-N-T-E. And linking to both places at beautyiseternal.com in the show notes to episode 19.